Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where we introduce you to interesting people and their inspiring stories. From Grace professors, current students, and distinguished alumni, to special guests and speakers on our campus, you can meet new people and hear how they are impacting the world around them. This podcast is recorded and produced at Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Walter R. Strickland, an educator who hails from a line of school teachers, which we'll talk about. Dr. Strickland is a published author who regularly teaches in a variety of environments as a lecturer, preacher, consultant, and conference speaker. Walter was born in Chicago, raised in Southern California. He and his wife live in the Raleigh area of North Carolina, where he teaches at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and they've been blessed with two daughters and a son and a daughter named Hope, who is waiting to meet them in glory. Walter, welcome to the Grace Story Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm glad we could have you on this freezing cold day in Indiana. You said you got off the plane and it was like, it hit you. Yes, I, I let out a verbal response because it was so cold. <laughs> well, thank you for, you're from Chicago, so there's not like a total surprise, right? Well, we moved from Chicago to California. I was six, so my memories of the cold were snowmen. That's right. And not having to, like, live life in the snow, so. And you went to college in the Midwest uh, with me. You were my RA, <laughs> actually. Uh, so there was a little bit of cold um, in that experience yeah. as well, I'm sure. Um so one of the things I mentioned here from the uh, beginning is all of your various roles. And it's like you have many multiple full-time jobs. So like <laughs> my first question is, do you sleep? Yes. How much do you sleep? <laughs> That's the question. Yeah. Uh, more and more over time. You know, we, we've, uh, my wife and I, we've, we've really tried to make rest a part of our life. And um, prioritizing that is so important. And I'm seeing that as time goes on. As you get a little bit older and need a little bit more rest. And sleep is harder as you get older, too. Like, I just don't <laughs> sleep as well as I, the older I get. Um, so we talked about the value of education. And one of my vivid memories of you um, in college is just the fact that you studied, like, all the time. And we'd be like, hey, let's go hang out. Hey, let's go. And you were like, I got to study. And you were very disciplined about your studying. Um, mm -hmm. And so, like, where does that come from, uh, yeah. the value of education and research? Like, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your background and just where that sort of was implanted in you. So uh, it's, it's interesting. I feel like I transferred skills from one thing to the next. So I grew up as an athlete. Um, I, I couldn't read till I was nine, actually. So that was I was tested for all kinds of learning disabilities. And so I was really a late bloomer intellectually speaking. So um, I, I didn't I didn't grow up as this sort of avid researcher. I read my I read my first book cover to cover when I was eighteen. It was C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. So that was that was the first book that I ever read that actually kept my attention. Hmm. So and it was like a theo theologically oriented textbook right. or a book. So I said, well, maybe I should do something with this theology, you know. So uh, all I have to say, so I went to Cedarville. Uh, after I felt called to do some sort of ministry, my pastor said a call to ministry is a call to prepare. So I went to Cedarville, uh, studied theology and psychology there. Um, and really, my the, the skill set I transferred was a work ethic from things like athletics to the classroom. My coaches would tell me, hey, you know, if you'll quit now, you'll quit in life. And I never really understood what they meant by that until mm -hmm. I was in college. 
and then later writing a dissertation. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really felt like I was playing catch up. So, you know, folks thought I was just this amazing scholar in college. Really, I was just, you know, <laughs> just trying to hold on. I was one of those that thought you were this amazing <laughs> scholar. I'm like, man, he studies a lot and does really well and writes good stuff. And yeah, and I you were also a good intramural basketball player. I almost called you last night because we uh, we had an intramural basketball game, the staff team that I play on. Okay, and we okay. could have we could have used you because we got. We got beat pretty soundly, but oh, you were, you, were uh, you did that to me in, in college as well, beat me in intramural basketball. I, I can still dunk a basketball, two hands. So. Can you really? I can. Wow. I can. That's amazing. I've never been able to dunk a basketball <laughs> or touch a rim for that matter. Uh, okay, so um, was education and, you know, you become a professor, was that something that you desired, you know, from an early age or what, when did the idea of becoming, you know, an educator really, um, really become like, this is my life's mission? Yeah, that's a great question. So I went, I went to college to sort of prepare for some kind of ministry. It was very ambiguous. Um, and then as I got into my internships, uh, at the end of college, my pastor said, Hey, you're going to teach this Sunday school class. And I said, well, I don't do that. You know, I do sports ministry, I do youth ministry and, you know, just kind of fun things and like rah-rah, go Jesus kind of things. And then, uh, so I declined his offer to teach the Sunday school class, but he insisted that I do it. So I begrudgingly started teaching the Sunday school class and it was the most life-giving thing that I've ever done in my life. And so um, I changed my emphasis in seminary because I was in between college and seminary. I changed my emphasis to a just a general ministry track away from biblical counseling. Uh, of course, pastors do biblical counseling, but uh, really focusing on exegeting the Bible, understanding the meaning of the scripture, communicating that to people uh, from a pulpit and in other, in other environments. So uh, that switched there. So I went to seminary thinking I'd be uh, preparing for pastoral ministry, but about halfway through seminary, I read a book and it raised all kinds of questions for me. And I started asking my professors about these questions I had, and they didn't really have a bunch of awesome answers either. Uh, and someone said, I think you should start to answer those questions for the generation that's behind you. And, um, and that's when the researcher and the educator was born in me. Wow. Um, I do believe that preaching and teaching as a pastor is a, is a form of education for sure. You know, they call Jesus rabbi teacher. Um, however, as far as like a formal, you know, educator in an institutional context, um, developing the next generation of pastors and ministry leaders and missionaries and counselors, uh, that was, um, that emerged at that point. So, um, yeah. And since then, you know, I've been blessed to, to teach at a seminary. This is my 10th year teaching. Is it really? It's, it's unbelievable how fast time has, has gone. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the profession has grown on me a lot, um, understanding human persons as somebody that the Lord has given them all these gifts hidden within them. And then what we get to do as educators is to fan the flame of those gifts and help them actualize what God has already put in them. Mm. That's just an amazing um, charge. Yeah. And so uh, I, I feel like it's a stewardship that the Lord has given me. Uh, and as I look back at my family, you know, you mentioned I was from a, a line of school teachers. I mean, this is the family vocation. Uh, and I, I feel like I've sort of backed into it um, in a very natural way without being coerced into it. But I found myself in the same place as my mother, as my, you know, great aunts, as my, uh, you know, just so many uh, who have gone before me in my family. 
Well, before we get to talking about your authorship and the books you've written, um, what are some of the favorite courses that you teach right now? Yeah, so I love a class called Theology in Global Contexts. And so we, we talk about Christology, the doctrine of Christ, the person and work of Christ. And then I talk about how people in different parts of the globe sort of interface with Jesus. There's, it's funny because there's not funny, but it's, it's really interesting because there's people in different places that sort of latch on to different aspects of Jesus. Uh, and it's like you're on a, so in, in the Raleigh area where I live, we have uh, 440, which is a belt line around the city. Mm-hmm. And there's various on-ramps to get on to 440. And you just keep going around and around after you get on it. And so if you think about Jesus as a 440 belt line, there's all kinds of different on-ramps people take to get onto the, the way, who is Christ. Wow. And um, your culture is a a large determining factor of the things you'll latch on to Jesus about, sure. but because you latch on to that part of Christ, you still got to go around and around to get to know who Christ is in his fullness. And so uh, as we're sending out missionaries to uh, to serve all around the globe, as we're preparing ministers to be the, the, the light of Christ and articulating who Christ is in these um, uh, metroplexes in America that are growing f- with people from all over the world... Mm. It really behooves them to understand like what aspects of Christ people from different cultures sort of grab onto, and then how to then disciple them into the fullness of Christ. And so that's that's theology in global context. But I also love my survey classes because the survey classes are just me walking through the basic doctrines of the faith, offering students a uh, like is that like OT survey, NT survey, or is it more of like a theological? Like you're looking at systematic theology. Yeah, systematic theology. So working through who is Christ, uh, Christology, who is God, theology proper, what is the church, ecclesiology, the, the end times, eschatology, and all those ologies that we walk through. <laughs> so it's, it's great. It's, it's good fun. Uh, so you also are an author. Um, how many books have you written? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I've authored some by myself. I've co-authored edited. some, edited, yeah. uh, you know, given chapters. So I think... I think I think it's the totals about up to 13, 14. Wow. Yeah. What are uh, some of your latest works that you're um, excited about? And, and tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, so the I just turned in uh, a two-volume set to University Press. Uh, the, the, they share a title. It's called Swing Low. Uh, and the subtitle is different on both. One is An Anthropology of Black Christianity in America. And the subtitle for the other one is the sort of a, the story of Black Christianity in America, and and one of them is telling just the, the theological narrative of African American Christianity uh, in this country, and the other one are all the primary sources like the sermons, the speeches, the liturgy, the um, autobiography correspondence type content that drives that narrative. So they're mm. they sort of speak to each other, and we're doing a lot in the apparatus. I'm sorry, I'm getting super like nerdy with typeset yeah. and conversation, but we'll, we'll do a lot to make them talk to each other. And so, uh, really, like the the story of African American faith uh, has been told uh, oftentimes from uh, people who are in the academy which they take a more sort of academic approach to telling the story of the church, uh, but they often misconstrue that narrative because of their own sort of assumptions about what that means. So I'm taking an approach to say, hey, what has the church said about the church? 
You know, what have the people of God said about themselves? What theological convictions have they held? And how has that driven the activities that we often sort of associate with African-American Christianity? And so, um, you know, I'm excited about those those projects. Um, They're pretty big. Because I just kind of kept writing. How many pages are is each volume? So I don't know. But I can give you a word count because we're still trying to figure. So I think IVP is in the process of trying to hide how many words it is by putting <laughs> a lot more words on a page. Because they contracted me for like seventy five thousand words. I got carried away and wrote one hundred fifteen thousand. Wow! And we brought it back to like ninety six or so thousand words for the story, the theological narrative. So that's just for one of the volumes. Yeah, the the, the other volume is about two hundred fifteen thousand words. So. Um, my one of my mentors uh, when I was in my doctoral program, he says, "Walter, at some point you got to write a big fat book." And so I've written mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Next time through, you can go with just like the uh, yeah, yep. the small, the, the little tiny ones. volume yeah. thing that sells. Uh, so who would be you know um, who's kind of the audience for um, a a set like this? Yeah, you know, um, it, it's I, I've tried my best to sort of uh, split my pants on like three different fences. And the publisher said that I actually kind of achieved it. So mm. uh, I, I did want the very curious layperson to be able to sort of read it, uh, because it's, a, it's a, after all, it's a story of the church. It's it's not a it's not a story about like academic theology necessarily. It's about what was going on in the the pulpits and the pews that the that the people of God were interfacing with. So uh, it, I'd be I I think I would be remiss if I didn't write it in such a way where the layperson couldn't understand it. Yeah. But at the same time, because it's so comprehensive, i.e. long, uh, it's, it's great. It'd be great as a textbook for like a survey in a, like a church history course. It'd be great as a, you know, for folks who are uh, wanting to just kind of get their feet under them, for even for experts to, who are in the field to understand a theological take on the story, because that story has been written from a, about the African-American church, about from like a political perspective, a denominational perspective, all these various perspectives, but what lacks in the telling of this story is the theological grounding that drives the people of God. And so that's the sort of offering that I'm giving. And so even if you're an expert in the field, uh, I think these volumes would be helpful because it's an overtly theologically driven account of the faith. So I'm so kind of... Basically, you can buy it, and hopefully, it'll it'll yes. work. <laughs> and I'm assuming uh, when will it be? When will it be available? The publisher is saying in November of this year. Okay. So in um, yeah, so end of this year, yeah. sometime. Mm-hmm. Amazon, wherever books can be found, etc. Exactly. That's, exactly. Uh, and uh, you're here on campus today for a couple different reasons, but one of them is you're going to be speaking in chapel. Um, yesterday was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and we have, uh, we have a chapel every year where we think about that and what does it mean and how does it apply to us? Um, so kind of just give us a quick snapshot of what you are intending to share with, um, students in our campus today. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, sometimes the person Martin Luther King Jr. is sort of ripped out of his context, uh, and he's made into a, um, a political leader, or a leader of a social transformation movement and all these things. But at the end of the day, he said, I want, I'm a, I'm quintessentially a pastor, a clergyman. Um, and so I, I just want to try to put him back in his context so we can kind of see his influences. 
uh, he's the son and the, the grandson and the great-grandson of a, a preacher. And so we'll, we'll explore who they are, and we'll explore the rich Orthodox evangelical heritage that those uh, folks handed down to him. We'll also look at some of the folks that influenced him and his formation at schools like Morehouse College in Atlanta, which is his hometown. And then uh, we'll just kind of see the ways in which he said, you know, or he would say, this is a spiritual activity that I'm doing, even though it's done in public. And so that, that's what we'll kind of do and really look at some of the passages that um, sort of he became famous for quoting, even though sometimes they're attributed to him and not the Bible itself. So, uh, yeah, so I hope that's, that's, it'll be a, a helpful and informative time Good. To, situate, to situate a man in a context that he's often sort of ripped out of. Yeah, yep. and then make application to what does this mean for us as we look at these passages? Certainly. How does it now apply to us in the way that we follow the way of Jesus? Yeah, because I, I think that uh, amongst Christians, we have a tendency to say, you know, my faith is something I do in my prayer closet. I read my Bible, I pray. I go to, to a place on Sunday, I worship, but then... On Monday, I just kind of go into the world and I play by the world's rules. Um, and not that we're going out there sinning and things like that, but uh, we don't really think about our faith as informing what we do from Wednesday to Saturday. But uh, what, what I'm trying to do is say, you know, um, this is you know, our faith is something that does inform all that we do. And so, um, you know, everything that God has created, you know, even us and how we interact in God's world, God is, is laying claim to that. And so it's an encouragement for how we can live that out, even in our vocational lives, which that's why students are here at Grace. Right. They're, they're preparing for, for what God might have for them to do vocationally. And even that is something that we can do as an act of worship. Spiritual act of worship. And um, I appreciate you. And, and that's about another vein of your work a lot is in vocation. Yeah, it and, is. And uh, a lot of what you've written on as well. So um, if people want to find you, find your work, what's the best way to sort of explore who is Walter Strickland. Yeah, I think the best way is walterstrickland.com. There's um, sort of links to the things I'm a part of, uh, like White Horse Inn uh, is a uh, internationally syndicated radio show slash podcast that I'm a part of. It sort of links to that, links to uh, what I'm doing at Southeastern, different speeches and sermons are on there. Um, and, uh, you know, just I... I, I love the uh, yeah. My, my books are linked to the Am um, Amazon, <laughs> the Amazon, the to Amazon, Am <laughs> to Amazon and things like that. And yeah, there's a, I own a couple of little companies, and so they're all linked on there too. Walter, thank you for being here. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for your contributions to um, our campus, but uh, more broadly to the body of Christ. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening today to the Grace Story Podcast. Thanks to Avery and Rick for their work producing the podcast. If you can do us a favor and like, comment, subscribe, share it, wherever you got it from, we would be so thankful. Questions, comments you'd like to share with us, feel free to reach out via email at podcast at grace.edu. Until next time, live your best Grace Story today. <laughs>